This is Get a Real Job, the podcast devoted to people who choose risk over safe bets, who pursue their passion against all odds and are doing what they want, how they want, despite people and sometimes the voices in their own heads telling them they're nuts. When the field that I wanted to work in didn't exist, I created it. The only thing you have to decide is how hard you want to work. I really never went into the design of the restaurant of not succeeding. One way or another, I was going to succeed. I'm your host, Dan Bova, editorial director of entrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. And now, get a real job. Hey, everyone. This is Dan, and welcome to a special episode of Get a Real Job, which is part of a series devoted to people and businesses that are focused on sustainability and reducing environmental impact. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Kathy Stevens, who has dedicated her life to making a difference in the lives of farm animals. She's the founder and executive director of Catskill Animal Sanctuary. We're gonna learn all about what is going on with this great organization. Welcome, Kathy. Kathy, how are you? Dan, I'm great. I love your show. As I just said to you, your, the, your guests speak my language, so I'm happy to be on with you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, happy to have you on. I want to get into your backstory, but before we do that, if you could just explain what's going on at the Catskill Animal Sanctuary, because it's, you know, doing some research, it's pretty impressive. It not pretty, extremely impressive about what you've been able to accomplish. Well, it's a whole wonderful team of us that has accomplished this, but thank you, Dan. We are a 150-acre Sanctuary for Farmed Animals located in upstate New York. We take in 11 species of animals who've been abandoned, discarded, victims of institutional situations, etc., cruelty cases, and then have the privilege of helping them heal both physically and psychologically. And that remains, 21 years into this work, the greatest joy of my life. There's nothing like taking in an animal, animal who's sort of broken, uh, often both physically and psychologically, and saying to that animal, you're safe, you're loved, you matter, and then watching who that animal becomes. It's just a beautiful and powerful experience that I've had over and over and over. And so that's the first part of what we do, rescue these animals in urgent need. And the second part has to do more with the theme of the show, which is, which is about sustainability, um, is to encourage through unique programming, good, kind people who consider themselves animal lovers and who aren't intentionally intending to harm, line up, their lifestyle, what they eat, what they consume, what they wear, with their beliefs, their beliefs in compassion and mercy and kindness. And so we have vegan cooking pro programs and we have on-site tours, etc. So that's uh, pretty pretty moving uh pretty moving description of, of what you do. And um, of all the animals that you've helped, is, is there a moment or, or a particular animal that really stands out uh, in your memory of uh, 
the the shape you got them in to to how their life went on once they were in your care? There are a lot of moments because there have been thousands of animals. Yeah. Um, and I just want to emphasize again that it's we, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a we who do this, not a, not a me that does this. Um, but an animal who changed my life and in fact, in doing so, changed our practices at Catskill Animal Sanctuary was a, a very violent ram. Uh, we named him Rambo. Not very original, <laughs> who came here from a, a hoarding case and he had, he was a Jacob sheep. He had massive horns. His horns probably literally weighed 20 pounds each and they curved back and then they curved around in front of his face. And Rambo was claustrophobic. And when we tried to close him in at night for his own safety, he came at us like boom, boom. And so we decided to for our own safety and also because he was so frustrated to let him be the only animal in 21 years who has ever, the only animal who could be eaten, hunted by a predator, Mm. um, be the only animal in 21 years who was allowed to roam the entire grounds freely. We put a bed of straw in the barn and he would sleep there at night. And that rage left him as he was able to to be free, which is what he was trying to tell us he wanted. And I went to the barn one night to check on the animals. And as I was going down this long barn aisle, I walked right past this empty stall where our turkeys lived at the time. We hadn't built a turkey barn at the time. And the stall was empty and it didn't register with me. So when I made my circle, everybody seemed fine. I, I came back and I said, Good night, animals. And Rambo got up from his bed and he walked up to me and he went, bah. So it was obvious that he was saying something was wrong. So I said, show me what you want. Show me what's wrong. He walked halfway down the aisle. He walked into the empty turkey stall. He turned around and looked at me. And that moment changed my life because five things happened. In that moment, he knew they were out there. He knew they shouldn't be. He figured out a way to tell a human being. He knew that the human being would help, which told me that he understood what we were about, that we were about helping animals. And more than anything else, an animal who had been so mistreated throughout his life had empathy for animals of a different species. And that moment told me everything I needed to know about who these beings are and that we needed to pay a different kind of attention to them. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that is incredible. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Um, how, how did you get involved in this kind of work? What, what, what led you to, to founding this? What were you doing before? I, I had turned down the job to I turned down a job offer to be the principal of a new charter high school that was opening. I'd grown up on a farm. My my professional life, my the first decade of my life was as a high school English teacher. And I was and I led a bunch of writing workshops for teachers in the summers and connected with various people, one of whom was starting a charter school with a small group of people and invited me to lead it. But 
It was a media and technology charter high school, and I should been, have been born in the medieval era. Like, uh-huh. I don't like these things. I'm holding up one of my devices. I don't like these things. They're not my friends. I can't wait to be done with this part of my life in part so that I can throw them all away. Right. <laughs> and so it was the wrong fit. So I just... I turned the job down and I was at a pivotal moment and and asked myself the question, what do you want to do? What, what, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And what I came to eventually was that I wanted to combine my love for teaching and learning with my love for animals. And so Catskill Animal Sanctuary became a true teaching sanctuary. Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. I think we all would like to throw our devices into the rivers. Uh, I don't think so. Some people can't live without them. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, well, some days I can, some days I can't. Um, so, and was that, was that pivot? Like, did you ever look back? Did, it, did you have moments of like, oh, wait, why did I do this? Or was it you were just full steam ahead in that direction? Oh, I was full steam ahead. My family and my friends thought I had lost my mind, which I know is a common theme on your show. Um, My family didn't know why on earth I would give up a, you know, $140,000 job to, to, this was 21 years ago, Um, start a nonprofit. Even though this is an interesting thing, my dad did his version of the same thing. So he, in a way, was my model. He left a corporate job, a very successful corporate job to go right out on that limb and start, start, borrow money from my mother's grandparents and um, start a horse farm in Virginia, built it from the ground up. We had snakes. We moved into this house that was built in 1734 and snakes were living in it. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. It was, a, it was snakes, huge rats. So how does a, an animal lover such as yourself move into a place that's occupied by animals like that? And how, how do you, how do you deal with making it hospitable for yourself without like, you know, exterminating them? Oh, <laughs> Well, my parents, I'm, I was tiny then, so I don't know. Like I was five when my dad bought this farm, but, but it's interesting because here farms have mice and farms have rats and farms have pigeons and to kill them, they want their lives as much as we want ours. They have friendships. They feel pain and suffering. They have individual personalities is untenable for us. So we have a, a just a line item in our budget for rat and pigeon birth control, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. It's a with with the rats. It's a it's a it's a liquid, and it's sort of like chocolate cake for rats, and they eat it, and it sterilizes both the males and the females. Wow. Uh, is the city of New York aware of this? That's a good question. That's a good question. I bet they are. Um, cause that's, I bet they are, but, but I don't know that they would, it, it's not cheap. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and you know what, so you've, you've the, your, your ethos about caring about all animals, 
um, has inspired you, uh, the, the, this cooking program you talk about, the Compassionate Cuisine. Can you tell us a little bit about that and you know why you encourage people to at least think about going vegan? Well, so you opened by saying that this subset of your show was about sustainability. And I know, I know there's a lot I don't know, but I know a few things after two decades of doing this work. Number one, we are all the same. And I don't mean humans. I mean every living thing that breathes, that we are more like each other than we are different. Mm. 10 chickens are as individual as 10 people. Every pig, every duck, every fill in the blank feels every single emotion that you and I do. Joy, fear, rage, impatience, anticipation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they, they, we all want our lives. And no one, regardless of species, wants to feel afraid or fearful or live in terror or live in confinement, the conditions in which we keep animals. Um, no mother wants to have her baby stolen from her, which is what we do right. with dairy cows. So uh, dairy animals. So um, if I know those things to, to be true and I am an animal lover, then why wouldn't I want people not to consume these animals, but from an environmental sustainability perspective, growing 65 billion animals on land animals every year and taking trillions, so many we can't count them, trillions out of our oceans is the leading cause of almost every environmental challenge we face. So, and there's a, there's a, Dan, there's this beautiful little activity that six-year-olds can understand. And it's, uh, I encourage people to Google it. It's called the Earth as an Apple. And it's a demonstration, a visual demonstration of our problem with eating animals. Here's the Earth. You take this apple, yeah. you carve it up into four pieces because three quarters of the Earth is ocean. You set that aside. And so here you've got a quarter of this planet that has to support all human life, all animal life, and everything grown to sustain all of us. The earth ain't getting bigger. Right. <laughs> but we, our population is increasing exponentially. We're taking the animals, we're taking the land. And what you're left with when you do go walk through this activity is that only 3% of the earth's surface is available to, for, for humans and for all the food that's needed to feed us. And when you figure that it takes 15 to 20 times the amount of natural resources, 15 to 20 times more land, water, energy to feed a meat eater than it does to feed a plant eater. Hmm. We're, on a, we're on a suicide mission. More coming up from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsor. Who doesn't want to do right by the planet? Well, one of the easiest ways is to use paper. And another is to choose products that come in paper-based packaging. Because paper comes from trees, a natural and renewable resource. 
And here in the U.S., private forest owners carefully maintain healthy forests and their habitats to provide our essential paper products. And those products can be recycled up to seven times. Thanks to innovative design solutions, everyday items from cosmetics to liquid detergents are now using paper-based packaging, making it easier than ever for consumers to do good for the planet. And the same goes for business owners. Choosing paper-based packaging materials is a great way to take the sustainable path forward that also gives back. So choose paper and help America's forests thrive. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com. And we're back. But what do you tell people, you know, if it's part of their culture, you know, this is what we eat, or uh, I love cheese, I can never give up cheese, or I could, uh, you know, I love eggs in the morning. Like, how do you- I was, I was one of those people. I, it was part of my culture. I ate meat and cheese at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and most- Everyone in my family still does. Um, I get, I get meat tastes good. I, I'm not one of those vegans who says meat's gross. Meat's, meat's delicious. I, every time I smell tuna on, on the grill, I, I just remember that. That was good. <laughs> um, but we, can't we are at a point now when when our taste buds because all this is is a desire for taste and it's it's our desire our what we eat is determined by our taste preferences our culture sometimes by economics it has nothing to do with health and it has nothing to do with being a part of a solution and we cannot the the earth is on fire and the earth there are droughts look at what's look, open your eyes and look at what's happening and if a large part of that is driven by our de- dietary practices then isn't it time for us to say collectively as a species maybe it's time if if unintentionally absolutely unintentionally I am acting as if my diet is just for me. Right. And doesn't have long, 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 long implications. Then isn't it time that I start making different choices? So I get it. I get the cultural thing. I get the historical thing. I get family traditions. But um, our choices matter and they matter now like they never have. So so do you uh, recommend... For someone listening to this who is, you know, getting inspired by by what you're saying, um, you know, it might be hard to to sort of jump into veganism uh, cold turkey, um, or maybe there's a better way to say that, better vegan way to say that. But are there babies cold tofurkey? <laughs> cold tofurkey. <laughs> is, <laughs> is there is there kind of like baby steps you could take to getting yourself on that path? There are so many things and virtually everyone, there are very few people who watch a movie or hear a speaker or read a book on Tuesday and then wake up vegan on Wednesday. Right. That's the tiniest percentage. Most of us move toward it. And there are all kinds of resources. There are all kinds of websites. There are all kinds of pledge programs. We have information on our web, on our website. There are so many 
ways for people to get started. But I do think that for most of us, it's really about dinner. Okay. Think about how easy it is for breakfast and lunch to be vegan. Right. Okay. Really, really simple. A million options. And, and even today in most major cities or cities of any size, you can get vegan pizza. You can, you can substitute the dairy cheese in so many places. And dairy cheeses are extraordinary. They used to be gross. They came to the market way too quickly. They are now fantastic. Fantastic. You cannot tell that they're not made with cow's milk. So um, I would encourage people to think about how easy it is to not to not eat meat or dairy at breakfast and then to focus on dinner. Um, maybe it's one type of meat at a time. Maybe it's trying one new product every week. Mm. Maybe it's working with a friend, trying out a pledge program. There, 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 you're only limited by your time, your budget, and your desire. It's, it's easier now than it's ever been. So I know. And sorry, yeah. can I say one more plug yeah. for animal sanctuaries? Uh, one thing to cement this decision is to visit an animal sanctuary near you. Because if you hold a chicken who falls asleep in your arms, or you sit with a pig who flops over for a belly rub, or you get licked across the face until you pull away in pain by an affectionate cow who's just come over to say, I love you, (laughs) you will be changed. Yeah, that's great. what what I was going to ask you is, I know you've you've written uh, cookbooks and you, you mentioned your website as a resource. Well, first, uh, if you could tell people what the website is, but then also, is there like the no fail vegan uh, dinner that like meat eaters and vegans alike just love? Like, do you have a favorite recipe? Well. Okay, our website is casanctuary.org. Our, com- our cooking program is called Compassionate Cuisine. And uh, there is, um, we have cooking classes. We're right now revamping Compassionate Cuisine to be Compassionate Cuisine 2.0. So, we're, so the classes are a little bit on hold, but she still shares, our chef Linda still shares lots of recipes and lots of posts for information and inspiration, and you can get the cook, cookbook um, right on the website. Go to recipes. I mean, look, it, there are so many things that um, meat eaters would never identify as, as vegan meals. You can make a vegan lasagna with vegan cheese and no one will know that it's not meat. You can make vegan meat of uh, 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 spaghetti and meatballs with some of the better quality vegan meatballs and no one would know. Um, you can make lots of soups and stews. I love Mexican food. So I make enchiladas a lot with um, uh Black beans, mashed up, mashed up sweet potatoes with a little cumin, um, sometimes some guacamole, and then a really simple sauce that 
would be like a vinegary ranch dressing, sort of, with uh, just made with veganaise instead of mayonnaise over the top with some chipotle peppers. Um, people should just ve- think of their favorite cuisine. Is it Mexican? Is it Thai? Is it Chinese? Is it and Google or go to YouTube because there are so there are thousands and thousands and thousands of demos of great vegan recipes. And then our cookbook has a zillion really good recipes. So the information is widely available. Right. And and I don't have one go-to because I like food too much. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm... I'm regretting my decision to, to skip lunch before talking to you. So now, now my stomach is like rumbling as you're describing all this great food. Um, so, so on at the sanctuary, you know, as you, you mentioned a couple of times, it's, it's a we situation, not me. Uh, how many people do you have there? And can you talk a little bit about where you find uh, the right people to kind of carry out this mission? That's an interesting question. We have 30, roughly, um, and a whole bunch of them are on the animal care side. You know, we've got 150 acres and 30 buildings to take care of and miles of fencing. So we've got a, a small buildings and grounds team. We've got a lot of animal care people divided sort of between healthcare, taking care of the individual healthcare needs of, of 10 different species. Um, and the daily care, the feeding, the watering, the cleaning, the turning out, the bringing back in. Um, and then on the other side, we've got communications people. We've got people running our education programs, both on-site, our on-site tours, and all of our virtual program. We, we, we sort of expedited our move towards some virtual programming when COVID landed in our laps. Um, and, and then of course we have the chefs and we have, we have a couple fundraising people and we have events people, you know, it's a whole team. We have a lovely woman who, who runs our 200 plus year old bed and breakfast and how we find them. We, 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 Sometimes people come looking for us. A fair number of our people have started as volunteers. A fair number of our people have left and done other things, completed school programs, for example, and then come back to give it another try. Um, We, like the rest of the world, we post on Indeed, we post on vegan jobs boards. So it's a whole variety of ways through which we we network at at not so much anymore at conferences, but we used to network a lot at conferences and other events. Um, is there is there a method that you have or is there a question you'd like to ask people to kind of, you know, find out if they're kind of aligned with what you're trying to, to do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked that question. There are in this vegan space, and I'm I'm happy to say that I feel this changing, but there are some people who have sort of given up on humanity and 
want to devote their entire lives, their entire psyche, everything they have to animals. And we have learned that that's not the kind of person who lasts here. Mm. You've got to believe in people. You've got to be a forgiving soul. You've got to realize that people are going to mis- make mistakes. You've got to realize that it, you didn't become vegan overnight. And so neither is the rest of the world. So I would say that a lot of time what separates who we hire from who we don't or who is successful here, quite honestly, from who isn't is the big hearted, the patient, the open hearted, the kind to the core, the people who are um, aware of their own shortcomings rather than being extremely judgmental. Those that's who we look for in addition to on top of whatever skills people bring through the door. Right. right. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, you mentioned fundraising and, you know, from, from the, the scope of what you describe, like this, this can't be an inexpensive endeavor. Um, how do how do you fund it? How do you, how do you keep, how do you take care of all these animals? That can't be cheap. It's not cheap. We get a tractor trailer load of hay every few weeks and a tractor trailer load of shavings every few weeks. And we have a truckload of grain delivered every week. And it's not, it's not Yeah. Um, like most nonprofit. We have lots of mo- profits. We have lots of different income streams, but we took a hit in COVID. And, and honestly, we're still trying to adjust and strategize to in order to recover fully from that. But we write grants and we have a wonderful grant writer who's pretty darn successful at it, a woman named Leslie, who started in programs and has been with us for a number of years. Um, We host events that changed a little bit with COVID. We we have tours, we have merchandise, um, we offer animal sponsorships. The homestead has historically been an income stream. So we have about eight different ways of generating revenue. And if anybody's listening is crazy enough to think, oh, I want to do this, then you better pay attention to that part. Yeah. As well as just to leading with your heart, because it's the fundraising piece that so often gets people in trouble. Right, right. So for for someone uh, who's who's on the fence here, someone who's leaning in in your direction, can you can you paint a picture of of the world of a world where not every single human being becomes vegan, but let's say let's say a fair amount of people become vegan? Like how how does that change things? I have never been asked this question in twenty one years. Well done. (laughs) What would a mostly vegan world change? There's a a wonderful man named Dr. Will Tuttle, who wrote one of the most influential books I've read called The World Peace Diet. And Will, he's been on my podcast, Will believes that if, that the root of all violence, he's a theologian, Mm. the root of all violence is our consumption of animals. And if you read his book, you will understand that argument. Um, 
I don't know that I could do that question justice without really giving it some thought. But what I do know is that, is what I said at the beginning, in the ways that matter, I'm no better than, I am no better than a dog. And if I'm no better than a dog, then I'm no better than a cow. And if I'm no better than a cow, then how can I be better than a bird? And none of us is intending to harm. None of us, nobody, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to torture animals at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. Nobody is trying to hurt anyone. But if we open our hearts and we look behind the veil and we own what we're participating in, if we own it, then, and we are trying to live as good people, then it's on us to begin that journey. And if we had, most of us do it at once, do it. And, and, and Dan, we have to, because unless we turn this ship around, the climate scientists have been telling us for a long time that we've got a handful of years to turn yeah. the ship around. Yeah. Back to the sustainability theme. So I didn't answer your question because I, I would really want to give it some thought to do it justice, but those are my off the cuff. Yeah, no, that's well, well, that's great. And those are, those are some pretty big, big reasons to uh, point people in that direction. And uh, it's pointing me in that direction. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to check out your website and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make one of your recipes for lunch. How about that? Oh my goodness. I love that. Okay. Do you, do you eat, there are lots of sandwiches in there. There are lots of uh, amazing salads and salads should be a misnomer because there's so much more than what you think of when you think of salad. Um, There's a great, uh, is it sweet potato and chipotle stew? There are all kinds of good recipes in that book. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. So can you remind everyone again uh, the website uh, where they can get all this information? The website is casanctuary.org, and that's where you can find out about the, com- the cooking program, where you can sign up for virtual classes, where you can log on to my podcast, which is, or find out about my podcast, which is Heard Around the Barn, um, et cetera. That's our one stop shop. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kathy, uh, you, there's, there's a lot of, cows and chickens that adore you. Uh, and, uh, I love what you're doing. This is, this is pretty amazing work that you're doing and very inspirational. And you got me thinking, uh, and you've got my animal, uh, dog barking in the background. I don't know if you could hear him. I can hear him. What's his name? His name is Clark. Let me see him. Uh, he's, he's Come up, here, Clark. He's upstairs. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad I'm on headphones because my dog, one of my dogs is lying right beside me and he would be, we'd be, we'd be having a hard time hearing each other if he was <laughs> responding to Clark. Well, we got to get Rambo over here to, uh, to get Clark in line. That, that would be good. Uh, but Kathy, it's been uh, really great talking to you. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, on behalf of animals, I would say uh, thanks for all the amazing work you've been doing, you and your team. Well, thank you. And thank you for being open-minded and open-hearted and hope you can come visit one of these days. I would love to. All right. Thanks, Dan. Great talking to you. You Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too.
That's our episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Get a Real Job comes out every Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you harvest your favorite podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a share. Let me beg people. Go to entrepreneur.com for new episodes of this and to listen to our other great podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.